0: Tonight, is there a glimmer of hope ahead for the S&P 500? You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. You know, Steve, we we talk a lot about history and how it repeats itself, especially when it comes to the markets, and that could be a really good thing for the second half of the year if you're looking at the S&P 500. Um, We're going to get to that in a second. But first of all, the very real impact that inflation is having on those, to those of us on Main Street, right? We're starting yeah. to see how this is coming out in some statistics, and and I would say that you and I are not shocked about this because one of these we've been predicting for a couple of years now.
1: Hey, Amy, I just spent $117 filling up my gas tank Ugh. over the right? weekend. Right, and it hurts. I, and well, I, it's diesel, and and diesel used to be 25 cents more a gallon than regular. It's a buck to a buck and a half more. So, I mean, that's just one And regular,
0: aspect. at least by my house right now, has hit the four ninety nine dollars a gallon yeah, mark. Yeah, and, yeah. and so I, that flag went up when I just got home from vacation. And so, uh, yeah, we're spending so much more. At the beginning of the pandemic, there was a statistic that was just insane. Yeah, yeah. Americans were saving north of 30% of what we were bringing home. A lot of factors here, right? Steve, so you, you couldn't spend the money if you wanted There's to. There's nothing to do. <laughs> what were you going to do? Where I mean, were you going to go?
1: It was, and you know, it's almost like a bad dream. I I mean, you think back and, and you know, you, you kind of remember it, but, you know, it was, it was pretty severe. I mean, you know, we, it, at the office, we got an email late on a Monday afternoon, don't come in tomorrow. And, yes. and you know, all of a sudden, you've You're got right. everybody, you know, doing nothing. I, I mean, we're talking about, um, people not going to work. People just stopped. They, they stopped spending. They stopped going out. They stopped vacationing. There was nothing to do. And the savings rate shot up. I, I mean, most people, well, the, the, the numbers that, that came out were, were mind boggling. I mean, in the United States, people were saving an average of 33 percent of their disposable income. And you and I both both said, this ain't going to last. We, yeah. we How long we, is
0: this going to last? We know Americans.
1: We the, know this country. It's not a permanent change. And guess what? It's not.
0: Well, and the cool thing, at least for a while, was we didn't stay at that 30% plot. But we we, we fell down somewhat slowly. And it looked yeah. like, OK, maybe, maybe we learned a lesson. Here's the thing that I don't know, though. I don't know if maybe we did learn a lesson and maybe we wouldn't be spending it or if inflation has forced us, right? Because yeah. right now, even for the same exact things that we were buying a year ago we're paying maybe close to 10% more depending on what those things are Uh, so in some cases maybe some of us did learn a little bit of a lesson I don't know how much I mean you and I were saying we didn't think it was going to stick but it's hard to know because inflation is forcing us to spend more
1: it it is and people don't have real long memories I, I, I mean it's it's just incredible to me okay savings rate was unusually high for a period of time, you and I both knew it wasn't going to last forever. But now you're dealing with almost double digit inflation and it will subside. I'm not worried about that. But we had so many years where inflation, what's that? I, I, you know, everything's basically yep. the same. We were we were looking at inflation between one and two percent for over a decade. So, you you know, out of sight, out of mind. And, and, you know, now I was talking to over the over the weekend, a friend of mine retired, just decided to go back to work partly because of inflation, things are costing more, and he was offered a job very similar to what he retired from. He, he does logistics. He's the one that ships the trucks out, and he knows what it costs to ship goods, and it's basically up to a dollar a mile. I, I, I mean, it's gotten crazy expensive, and his comment was, hey, there's no reason why this should be any big surprise to anybody. Everything gets to the stores by truck, and if you've seen the price of gas, the price of diesel's up even more, and that has to be passed along. So, you know, his, he's back to work because of inflation. People are paying more because of inflation. And as long as, in particular, diesel fuel is going to be this much higher than it was a year or two ago, things are going to cost more.
0: Well, and the thing about inflation is the longer it sticks around, the longer we expect for it to stick around, right? Yeah. Earlier yeah. this year, when they would do surveys of Americans and they would ask, hey, how do you expect inflation to be at the end of the year? Most Americans were saying, oh, I expect it to be down from where it is now. And then yeah. in the next year, down even more than that. Now they're starting to do these surveys, and a lot of people are saying, I don't know. Every time I think it's going to go down, it continues to go up. So maybe it's going to go up more this year, and maybe next year is going to be even worse. The problem with that when it comes to inflation is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. You change your habits based on that. And that's what the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank, is up against. It becomes entrenched when we expect it to become entrenched.
1: Yeah, the experts call that anchored. When inflation is anchored, it is tough to get unanchored. And and there's a reason, you know, most of our quotes and most of the reports that, that we discuss and that we research are from experts. Well, you know what? Consumers aren't experts, but consumers are consumers. And consumers like you and me and people we know drive 70%. 5% of the economy. So if consumers say, you know what, I'm going to slow down. I'm not going to do that trip. I'm not going to travel as much. I'm just not going to spend as much because things cost more. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, consumers might not know much, but they know what they spend. And if they don't spend as much, that alone can cause a recession.
0: You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. If you feel like you are losing hope, well, we've got a couple of silver linings to point you to. And one of those, Steve, has to be the job market right now. I was just looking at some statistics in May if you applied for 13 jobs, you could expect to get five job offers from 13. That's crazy, I mean, we've never seen anything like that. And there's some experts who are saying, this is not slowing down at all, right? There's still two jobs available for every American that's working. Uh, And and while they expect that to maybe slow down later this year, it hasn't slowed down yet. So as the worker, you still have a ton of leverage, you know, in, in switching jobs and staying at your current job. Even before, if someone was hiring, you could interview someone and maybe think about it a couple of days. Yeah but yeah. i have i have read that that interviewers are saying if you do not make an offer literally almost while they're still in your office and they walk out or you wait another day they have multiple offers coming in and now you're competing against that many more people so that is the silver lining in all of this as we talk about the market slowing down right the volatility all over the place the fact that inflation is taking hold here well we still have a job market that is in a yeah. healthy healthy place
1: Well, that's why I'm not running around with my hair on fire saying a recession is coming, a recession is coming. Maybe not because, you know, the stat you gave is, is a huge stat, two jobs for every unemployed person. Normally a recession comes about and you kind of see it start to develop and and companies aren't getting the same orders they were getting a year ago and the the boom cycle starting to peak out and just everything's a little bit slower you know not as many you know the cycle slows down you know organically. This is not that case. I mean this is this is a situation where the economy has been screaming two jobs for every unemployed person and we've got supply chain issues and the Fed raising raising interest rates. And and that's throwing enough wrenches into the works there where, you know, we've got enough economists saying, yeah, we might have a recession and it may be sometime in the next six or nine months or so. Um, Okay, but I I don't see it yet. I still see people going out to dinner. I still see a lot of activity. Some data shows some concerning issues. But, you know, for the most part, this is just a strong economy that is going to it's going to take a lot to slow things down into a recession. Not saying it can't happen, but I just don't see it happening soon. And it's certainly not like some of the past recessions that I've seen over 40 years.
0: You know, we mentioned at the beginning of the show um, a glimmer of hope for the S&P 500. If you want to look back on history, the S&P 500 has dropped 20 plus percent the first half of this year. That's the biggest drop we've seen in the first half of the year since 1970. So if you're freaking out a little bit, it's been a while since we've been here. But there's some interesting statistics about going back to the 1930s. Every time the S&P 500 has been down at least 15 percent the first half of the year, second half of the year looks much better.
1: Uh, Batting a thousand second half of the year when the first half is down more than 15 percent. Every single time we've seen very dramatic gains in the second half. And, and, you know, some people are going to say, well, that's like saying, you know, the Bengals beat uh, Pittsburgh, you know, 30 years ago, and that's why they're going to win this time. I disagree, because when you look at, uh, just uh, looking at the Dow Jones average, I started in this business in 1981, and everybody's starting to to get tired of hearing, yeah, that's when the Dow was below 1,000. But it was below (laughs) 1,000. No, it's a great
0: point to make. I
1: know, and it's been as high as 36,000, and it didn't get there in a straight line. But every time it dipped, it went up, and the proof of the matter is 36,000 recently, a thousand forty years ago. So, you know, it always, always recovers. And in my, you know, just limited cranial capacity, uh, when when the market is down longer, that means it tends to go up more because it always does. It always has. And this time is not different, despite what a lot
0: of people might think. In fact, we're talking about the fact that, yes, usually the second half of the year, the SM, you mentioned every time the S&P 500 has been down 15% of rebounds. The average gain among those, and it's happened five times, 24%. That's a good um, return. I, I'll take it right now, yeah, right? Yeah. That, would sound, that would sound pretty good. And again, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going Maybe to happen. Maybe you don't. <laughs> Sprovac household has a few of them <laughs> that's why that's why yeah. you've got those millions and millions but, of but,
1: but you know what this this is and maybe it's just my old age and and starting to take life a little bit easier but you know if we've always gotten out of it in the past every day that goes by I don't care if the news is worse and worse and worse every day that goes by is one day closer to the rebound I I mean, that's the way I look at it. I am very aggressive in my personal investments, and and I don't really care how far it goes down because it always goes up. And that's why I'm not getting real wrapped up in the day-to-day.
0: Here's the Simply Money point. You've got inflation, stock market drops, bear markets. Well, those are always temporary. Every time gains outweigh the losses every single time coming up next a huge reward for a man who shows up to work every single day and when paying off a mortgage isn't your best option you're listening to simply money here on 55 krc the talk station you're listening to simply money i'm mimi wagner along with steve sprovac if you can't listen to us every night subscribe to our weekly podcasts the best of simply money on the iheart app or wherever you get your podcasts Straight ahead at 643, the financial must-do's if you are saying, I do, again. So showing up to work, well, it seems easy enough, but what if you showed up Every single day for 27 years, we're never late. That's quite a track record.
1: Well, and, and no vacations apparently. So, so there's a Burger King employee in Las Vegas that for 27 years never took a day off, never took a vacation day. And as a big old thank you from his managers at Burger King, guess what they gave him? They gave him a backpack with a ticket to, to the movies, a Starbucks cup. And, you know, some candy. It it was pathetic. Absolutely pathetic.
0: When you consider, and I always think about this like in schools, if you get perfect attendance for the year, right? They give you like this big, huge, shiny thing. And my kids are always like, ooh, like uh, maybe I have a little bit of a fever, but I really want that new fishing pole or whatever. So this guy's done it for 27 years and he gets a backpack with some like tchotchkes in it. <laughs> the cool thing, though, and yeah, I think this, this, this is, is a
1: great end of the story. I love this part.
0: So the co-workers, right, who realized, like, no, this actually is a really big deal because I actually missed work last week and then two weeks before that I missed a day. Yeah. Really realized how much this guy put into it. And so they started a GoFundMe because they thought we could raise a couple hundred dollars here for this guy as yeah. a way of saying thank you. Um, at last check, that account was north of three hundred and fifty thousand dollars oh
1: yeah yeah that is a
0: good reason to show up for work every day (laughs) oh uh, yeah
1: yeah I'm still gonna take a day off here or there but sorry no but you know his his, a single dad raising a couple of girls, and, and one of the, the people that, that started the GoFundMe page along with the co-workers was his daughter, who said, listen, the guy got custody, he raised me, he raised my sister, and all he wants to do is visit his grandchildren. We figure he needs a couple hundred bucks. $200 ought to do it if you feel so compelled to give, you know, 5 bucks, 10 bucks, so that we get our $200. And, you know, humility paid off in spades. People came out of the woodwork. You know, I went, what's this guy's story? He he did what? And this is all they gave him? No. Here's some three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So he's they actually flew him out to New York to be on the Today Show and reunite with his grandkids. And it's got such a great story that now there's enough money that he's talking about maybe I can I can pay their way through college. Wow. I, I mean, this is serious money. Yes, it, it's great news. So hey, we, cool. We preach it all the time, but paying off your mortgage before you retire—that's really what we think makes the most sense. But I'll tell you what: some people aren't in that position, Amy, and and having those big payments around your neck in retirement. I, I mean, if you don't have those payments, it can make your life a lot easier. But not everybody can pay off the mortgage, and there are certain instances where maybe, maybe in certain instances, you want to refinance out to 30 years.
0: It's kind of like the opposite, right? You're shifting from either getting it all paid off to giving yourself the lowest payment possible that you can have in retirement. Yep. Because we say all the time, money not going out is the same as money coming in. Yep. So if you can, then if you can't pay it all off and you've got a, a say, a two thousand dollar mortgage, if you can get that down to fifteen hundred, twelve hundred dollars, you know, whatever yeah. that looks like, um, then all of a sudden, it becomes a little bit easier.
1: But but it doesn't happen often, but I have seen it and I have recommended this. It, again, it's not plan A, it's certainly plan B, but I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. A retired couple, let's just call them Bob and Joanne, 69 years old. They've got six grand a month coming in from Social Security, annuity, uh, some uh, distributions from their investments. Basically, they've got six grand coming in. $1,800 a month is going out the door for their mortgage. Plus, they've gotten themselves into credit card debt. $800 minimum credit card payments. We're, we're dealing with not an optimal situation. Not a so,
0: lot of money left over there, to the, enjoy retirement, right?
1: You know, you, you know and, and they want to do what everybody else wants to do. Let's vacation. Let's see the kids, grandkids travel a little bit. And, and they've got $1,300 max to, to deal with, you know, after all these extensive payments that they've got. So, okay, it is what it is. You know, you're not going to fix it once you're retired. You're retired unless they want to go back to work. So here's a situation where it's all about cash flow. It's all about having more spendable income. They like the house that they live in. They're not going to downsize. They sure don't want to do a reverse mortgage. So you know what? They went out and refinanced for 30 years. Well, wh- what does that do? That reduces their payments from $1,800 a month to $600 a month. They're, they're never going to pay it Huge off. In their Yeah, they're never going to pay it off in their lifetime. But they're saving $1,200 a month on their mortgage payment. Now, with their credit cards, they can take that $1,200 savings and start paying down their credit cards. And in their case, they had their credit cards paid off in about a year. So that $800 a month minimum payment on credit cards, that also is gone after a year of just buckling down and and obviously refinancing. So now they've got $2,000 a month total savings over and above the 1300 a month that they were that they had spendable before so they've got all of this extra money to finally do what they can in retirement what they want to do but the problem is their house isn't going to be paid off you think they care no, I don't think so.
0: Because cash flow is really kind of the name of the game when you're in retirement, right? How much money can you have coming in to do the things that you want to do? And I don't yeah. think a lot of people think through this because you're so busy just living life in your 40s and your 50s and your your kids are growing up and you're getting them ready for college and all of those expenses. that sure. you, It's hard for you to kind of project forward what it's going to be like in retirement, but you don't want to have to get to retirement and suddenly not be able to eat out anymore or right. uh, tell your friends. No, we can't meet you um, to play golf this weekend. We just don't have the money, right? Yeah. I remember when we I remember when I was in my early 20s, that was my excuse a lot, right? I sorry, it's the end of the month. I can't afford going out today, or I can't afford that trip. I don't want that to be my excuse. I don't want to have to you, you know, talk about that in, in retirement. I want to be able to afford it. And so this is one way to think through. And ultimately, of course, you want to have that mortgage paid off, lower your expenses as much as possible. But if that is impossible, and how many people, Steve, do you know who are building and buying their dream houses in their right. 40s and 50s, maybe early? We have someone who lives in our neighborhood, and um, my husband was looking over the other day and he said, they just built this really nice house, and they're probably late 60s, early 70s what are they going to do right but maybe they didn't think maybe they just extended out 30-year mortgage maybe they paid cash for it i don't know spending
1: their kids inheritance that's what they're doing (laughs)
0: let that final check bounce yeah but there are. There's a lot of different ways to look at these. And while we kind of like to give sort of rules of thumb for what we think looks be- works best for most people, there are obviously circumstances like we just talked about here where that doesn't make the most sense. Maybe it doesn't make the most sense to prioritize paying off your mortgage if it's so far out of your yeah realm of possibility to do that.
1: Yeah, plan A is still pay off the mortgage, get out of debt before retirement, but there is a plan B. Here's a Simply Money point. While it's generally a good idea to pay off your home before retirement, there are unique times when still having a mortgage can help you get to your goal. Coming up, it's a topic that might be difficult to discuss, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Your estate plan for your children. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, The Talk Station.
0: You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Strowback. You know, estate planning isn't something you like to think about, and it's certainly not something you like to talk about. But when it comes to families, this is a crucial part of planning what happens after you're gone. Our estate planning expert from the law firm of Wood and Lamping, Mark Greckman, joining us tonight. About this is It's so critical and important to talk about this, yet a lot of families don't.
2: Well, that's right. And if you're, you're the kind of parent who... Wants to make your adult children squirm, or you want to give them the heebie-jeebies? All you got to do is sit down and tell them about your estate plan, and if that doesn't work, Amy, tell them how you want your funeral done.
0: Oh, you know what's funny? I mean, my kids are younger, and I still—and maybe it's because this is what I do when I talk about all the time. But we have very open conversations about these things because I don't—I mean, I think as long as your kids are old enough to understand, this, nothing should surprise them if something were to happen to you.
2: Well, that's right, and you've got to get over that hump. You've got to get past the point of of being uncomfortable about it. Uh, Obviously, I'm joking about uh, making your kids squirm, but the truth is it is hard to talk about the first time, and it gets a little easier after that.
0: So when we talk about what you should talk about, let's talk about what to cover, right, the specifics of what your kids really need to know.
2: Well, when it comes to estate planning, you've got to start by letting your kids, and I'm talking about adult kids here. Now, Amy, you and I a minute ago were talking about younger kids, yeah. but I'm talking about adult children. With adult children, you got to start by going over your list of assets with them so that they know what you own. I remember years ago, my father and I having a conversation about his estate plan, and he basically said, well, you know everything I have, and I said, well, do I? I'm not sure I do, and I gave him... Back in those days, we had dictation machines, and I gave him a dictation machine, and I said, the next time you drive to Florida, dictate a list of all your assets. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, he did that. We typed it up. I took a look at the list, and Amy, I would say more than half of the things on the list. I had no idea. I'd never you seen it about,
0: yeah.
2: And I laugh about that because my dad and I were very close. We worked together. He assumed that I knew everything about him, but the truth is our kids don't know what we don't tell them.
0: And I think there's sometimes where you think like, oh, I told you about that, right? I mentioned that to you, right? Maybe they thought about, you know, maybe you thought about telling them something, but you didn't actually do it. So having that kind of structured conversation is probably critical.
2: A perfect example of that is for veterans. uh, You know, it's Fourth of July. That's uh, all the talk is patriotism. Uh, For veterans, many most of them have a veteran's life insurance policy if they were in the service long enough. And if that was 30, 40, 50 years ago, your kids were not born, then they may have no idea that you've got a five or $10,000 policy. It's not a lot of money, it's not a big deal, but somebody needs to know.
0: Okay, so you cover your assets, right? What you have, you get that all out so they understand that. What else do we need to be talking about?
2: You wanna talk about the terms of your will. What does your will say? What does your power of attorney say? Who's in charge? Also, living will and power of attorney for health care. Those documents, Amy, are particularly important because those are the documents that describe what you want done in the event of a terminal illness.
0: I just saw um, a friend of mine who recently lost her father posting something on Facebook. And they were very close. He was a very intelligent man, but apparently had not laid out all of these things for his adult daughter. And it was kind of this reminder of... Hey, parents, please do this for your children, right? Uh, Because she was just starting to try to unravel all of this in the midst of time of incredible grief. And a lot of kids, she couldn't even find certain things she needed to have.
2: Well, that's a good point and leads me to the next thing on my list, Amy. And that is you've got to tell your kids where you keep stuff. The location of key documents, the will, the power of attorney, tax returns, checkbook. Where's the checkbook? Most people in their homes have a place where they keep these kinds of documents, Social Security cards, Medicare, Medicare cards. They have some place in their house where they keep their tax returns. It's, maybe it's a desk. Maybe it's a, a safe. Maybe it's a closet, a file cabinet. Just tell them where the stuff is. Okay, Safety so- deposit box key is a big one, too. Oh yeah. That's a. I can't tell you how many safety deposit box keys we've looked for over the years.
0: Well, it's like you were saying before about all the assets, right? Sometimes you forget about all the things that you have. But when you're talking about key documents, key contact information that uh, that your children might need, I think it's probably good to get this back out and look at it every once in a while. Because first of all, things can change, but there's a lot of stuff you could forget.
2: Well, that's right. And the contact information you mentioned is an important one. There ought to be a a list in your records, uh, the contact, the name, your doctor, your lawyer, your CPA, your money manager, your business partner, so that the uh, family knows who to call.
0: What about anything else? Right. Any kind of special instructions? I always think about movies and TV shows where there's like this big reading of the will and certain things that special people are supposed to get. And people seem always, you know, up in arms because they had no idea. This is also something we should be talking about.
2: Hollywood is great, isn't it? They have created this fantasy of this, <laughs> yes. this big in the legal office with somebody standing at the podium reading reading a will. That's, yeah, that
0: doesn't <laughs> happen like that, huh? <laughs> it's
2: complete Hollywood fiction. I, I, actually, I've done it twice in my life because I had large families with large amounts, and they wanted me to get up and read it. Oh, but wow! no, 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 we don't really do that formally. Um, but what is important to have around are funeral arrangements. You can pre-plan your funeral, you can prepay your funeral, or you can simply express what your wishes might be, especially when it comes to basic options like cremation versus embalmment. Let your family know um, what, your, what your desires are, um, and if you can go ahead and make the arrangements, that's even better.
0: You know, we got a dog, um, last year. We hadn't had a dog in years and years and years. And I was the one who did not want him. And of course now he is my shadow and my best buddy. And I joke that Garth is going to die on the same day that I do and not a day before. But, uh, you know, if he were around after me, you, you also have to let people know what's going to happen with a pet, right? What's the plan for that?
2: Now, that's interesting because I had a man in my office just last week who um, uh, has beagles, loves his beagles. Aww. And when we talked about what he wanted to do with his assets and so forth, about halfway through it, he looked at me and he shook his finger and he said, but I want to talk about my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so we put a provision in his will for his dogs. And, Part of the and what, I, what he, I, I've seen a lot of people do, Amy, is they will leave a provision that says – I want my executor to find a home for these dogs, and I want my executor to give that person some money, oh. 5000 $10,000, some to pay for the care and feeding of the animal for the rest of its life. Um, it's certainly one way to motivate people to take a dog.
0: <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. There's just a lot here, Mark, a lot to think through. And I guess the first step would be sort of laying all of this out for yourself. And then, of course, the second major step is communicating it to your family
2: right right well it's in it you know it's all about communication and so many things uh, that you and i talk about all the time whether it's legal or financial communication is key and you've got to find a way to uh, to create a moment when and it's sort of a teaching moment when you can have a serious conversation and you do it occasionally don't do it so much that they tune you out sure um but once a year or so maybe you sit down i have many clients who have a ritual on New Year's Day, where they sit down and write a letter to their family members, and every New Year's Day they take it out and update it. You know, where the things that they have moved or things that they've sold, suggestions about who gets what jewelry or what furniture or or what mementos, they're all in a letter, and that letter gets updated every, some people use their birthday, some people use a holiday, New Year's Day, and uh, they will send me a copy and I stick it in the file, but most importantly, it's a way of communicating.
0: Great insights, as always, from our estate planning expert, Mark Greckman, from the law firm of Wood and Lamping. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.
1: You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Steve Sprovak, along with Amy Wagner. Straight ahead, one thing you can do to put your financial situation into perspective Amy, I don't have to tell you second marriages they're they're common between thirty and forty percent of all marriages involve at least one partner who's been hitched before and and you've been through this you're I guess you're a local expert on, on this you you are in your second marriage and and it there are some complexities and some issues that you don't deal with in a first marriage.
0: well, so I think about my first marriage. um we were both just starting our careers. we had at nothing. I had zero in a 401k, no retirement accounts. Of course, we had no children. Um, you know, so all of those things we kind of built together, but that second marriage, you're bringing that history with you, that financial history, that family, right? That you might already have. And what happens if something happens yeah. to one of you? Um, but you want to take care of the other spouse, but also your own children. It becomes a lot more complex. And this isn't going to surprise you, Steve, but from the get go, as soon as Jason, my husband and I as soon as we thought, okay, we're getting serious, and our, our kids get along, and we're gonna we're gonna go down this path. The the money conversation started immediately.
1: Well, I, I, you you talk about money with your kids. <laughs> I, I think from before they were born.
0: I, I mean, that, that, in that's, utero, I'm having the conversation with the baby <laughs> bump exactly. about it about so, the importance of a Roth IRA. You're exactly right. So <laughs> so I mean,
1: with Jason, is there like a three date rule for talking finances? How long did <laughs> how long did it take before you actually started opening up about you know maybe we should talk about our 401k and what? By the way, Jason, what do you bring to the table? Did, did I, you ever ask him that?
0: It was such a thorough vetting process for me <laughs> right with the second marriage. Were police
1: like, reports involved? I mean, by, how deep did you
0: go? By the time we got to the point of talking about marriage, we, we 100% knew, and of course we're both, and he makes fun of me, of course, about my credit score. You know, I'm like, oh, I can't do that because, you know, we another line of credit, and that's gonna that's gonna yeah. hit my credit score. And he's like, it's your credit score is an 800 plus. Like, why are you worried about that? <laughs> uh, so actually he balances me out very well because I can be a little neurotic about these things. Um, but we had had all of these conversations before about you know, how much of a priority is saving in the 401k and um, full disclosure, everything on the table. And, and that was critical because I couldn't move forward without knowing kind of where we are and that we're both on the same page. We've talked on the show a couple of times in, in the past through the years about um, people are usually on different pages as far as saving and spending. Right. Jason and I are very much on the same page. He's probably more of a spender than I Mm-hmm. uh so it was funny when we were on vacation um last week you know six people on vacation right now going to dinners out he would sign the tab sign the bill do that and he and like i wouldn't even want to see it because i'm like i don't want to know how much we just paid for that meal you know so, so, so that's how we kind of balance out in and, and all Usually, I know exactly what we're spending on things. But during this time, it was like, just enjoy the vacation. Don't worry about the money. So
1: so he didn't ask the server to split the ticket and give you half, and he paid <laughs> half?
0: This is no. good. This might work. No, we are not. But we also figured out that joining our accounts is what makes sense for us. And, yeah. and we so we've joined the accounts. But that's also another conversation that you need to have. It was a little difficult for me at first because for years, I had been managing my own money. I knew exactly yeah. every penny that was being spent and how it was spent. And I had my own system of doing that and we 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 merge them together because we both trust each other we were very much on the same page it made it way easier Um, but in some cases maybe it makes sense to keep different accounts or to merge some money and to keep some money separate. It really depends on what works for you.
1: Well, and I, I think you you hit on a couple things that are really, really important, whether it's a second marriage, first marriage, or, or whatever. I, I mean, communication is, is the key. Just talking these Ongoing. things through. Ongoing, yes. It has to be because, and, 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 you know, I've been married to the same woman for 38 years. I don't know how she puts up with me. She is a saint. <laughs> we love her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She will wake up some morning, turn, turn her head, look at me, and say, what was I thinking? I'm still waiting. I I, I rue that So day. far, so good, my So friend. far, so, so today's far, good. Today's so a good day. Today's a good day. <laughs> no, but in, in, in all seriousness, you have to communicate, but specifically on a second marriage, there there are some pretty important things like beneficia- uh, beneficiary designations. You mentioned 401Ks. Do you realize how many people, after they pass, uh, the, the uh, second spouse finds out, wait a second, what do you mean he listed his first wife? Or first husband as beneficiary on the 401k I, I mean these are things you have to address well after and marriage.
0: I think so many people don't understand that the will right maybe the two of you together do the estate planning yeah, yeah. and you rewrite the will And no but it says in the will that I get that 401k you have to understand that written beneficiary what what that person put down even if it was 20 years ago completely supersedes what you have in the will so it's a good thing to kind of pull out all of those financial documents and make sure and it takes a while right I mean that's one thing too about like when you're first married the first time it's like you know as things come up right you just put your spouse in for that but you've kind of forget oh there's an old IRA or a 401k that maybe is from an old workplace that I kept separate for whatever reason you've got to go back find all of those accounts and update all of those beneficiaries and and
1: and Very important. Obviously, they've been through, you know, the the emotional side of a divorce and and now there's a new mom or a new dad or or whatever the case happens to be. And, and, you know, I I think you've got to have really strong communication skills. With the kids so that they don't think, like like a good friend of mine did when, when his parents divorced, um, does that mean that this new person in, in our life gets all the money and, and we're cut out? You, you know, these are things that you've got to discuss and maybe even address legally through a trust.
0: Yes, Open conversations, incredibly important. Put it all on there on the table as early in the relationship as you feel comfortable with. Here's a Simply Money point. The process of speaking clearly about money is gonna teach you a great deal about your partner, how they view their money, and what their expectations are for the future so you can know, right? Is this going to work out for us? Coming up, do you take your wealth for granted sometimes? A way to help you with that next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Strovac. You know, I think it's easy, Steve, to, if you're in a somewhat comfortable place financially, to kind of take that for granted, right? You worked hard for years, and and all of a sudden you're in a place where your family can maybe go on vacation once a year, and, and you've got cars that... Don't break down every other day, right? Oh, we're only... really
1: getting hypothetical now, but please, please continue.
0: <laughs> you get to a point where uh, where there is the expectation. And I do remember kind of early on in my 20s uh, being like, okay, that's a couple hundred dollars to stretch out for the rest of the month. Luckily, I don't look at those bank accounts anymore anymore. And feel that way. And I think it can be really easy to look at that and to think, uh, like, kind of take it for granted. And so we would say if you feel like maybe that's been you lately, you just kind of take for granted that, that there is money in that account, maybe you need to put it into perspective. And we would say a great way to do that is by volunteering.
1: It, it is. And, you know, one of the things that I incorporate into retirement planning yeah, it's money. Yeah, it's running a financial plan. But it's also, what are you going to do with your days? You know, I yeah. saw, and, and I kind of consider myself lucky in that I saw firsthand a really lousy retirement. When my dad retired, he, he lost his wife, my mom, uh, fairly young, never remarried, and, and his job was everything and no outside hobbies. And I just saw him mentally and physically go backwards. He got it together and, and his life turned out fine. But I don't want to see anybody else go, uh, go through their retirement like that. And that's why we talk about what's your day going to be like when you get done with the honeydew list, when you check off everything you've been putting off. That may take two weeks or two months or whatever the case is. And one of the best ways is volunteering.
0: My aunt retired earlier this year, a few months ago. And, I mean, she was all in, right? She knew it was going to be great, no issues. And she even struggled initially with what her days were going to look like. And over my kid's spring break, we volunteered at, at a great nonprofit here in northern Kentucky called Master Provisions. And they do a number of yeah. things. But they have a food bank where people can come in. Um, other food banks can can get stuff from there. We sorted clothes. We sorted bread. It was amazing, though, when we were there, how many people who were showing us what to do were other volunteers. Some of yeah. them, oh, I'm here every Thursday. I'm here every Tuesday and Thursday. And it's kind of a regular part. The connections that they had, right? They formed relationships with other people who were volunteering there. And it was really cool to see. And there's been study after study done through the years about people who volunteer and how good it is for your mental health, your sense of well being. And, you know, I think all the time about my kids in the fact that, you know, they're, they're very blessed to be growing up where, where we're not necessarily living paycheck to paycheck, but gosh, there's a lot of households around us that are. And being exposed to that right as kids, learning, you know, seeing how other cultures and other people live um, can be very eye opening.
1: Well, it, it, it is, and it gives retirees a sense of purpose. They, they've got a, a wealth of information that they can give back, and it gives them that method to give it back. And, and uh, there are some studies that say it also staves off dementia and Alzheimer's, so it's good for your health also.
0: Just great number of ways to look at volunteering and why it's so important. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.